So this week's podcast, we're going to be chatting for around about an hour. And actually, after the save had done, me and Nice carried on for about another hour afterwards. So he's kindly agreed that he's going to come back and talk to me for another hour afterwards for all the stuff that we talked about and we just didn't record. But we're going to do it on the bank next time. Just for you, I bought a Hawaiian battery. <laughs> I'm going to open it now. Brilliant. You have, uh, yeah, it's your fault that I drink top cocktails when I'm fishing. <laughs> it's all your fault. <laughs> so, I mean, we've not done a particularly good intro into this. We've just rolled into it. But it's worthwhile explaining that you and I have known each other for at least 10 years. I would have thought so now. Yeah, it was back when forums were all the rage before Facebook, really, wasn't it? it was yeah. So when Facebook just started. And well, it's the only way that anglers really had to communicate before Facebook, and we all just used it. It was a bit clicky. It has. Well, yeah. was, was it clicky? I don't know. It, it, I reckon I, it could have been. from If you looked into that one particular site from the outside, it could have been. It could it could have looked like it but i think that group of mates if you like that we all made on there i don't think anybody excluded anyone if someone knew come on that no. they were welcomed but if you were just reading through the forum without posting anything and without interacting you, you might i can see how people might have got the the wrong idea that it was a bit of a click on there i suppose yeah I think I've been on other forums and it was clicky. And even if you ask a question or try to interact, you just get, you know, pushed out or you, you're absolutely right. The one we used to go was very inclusive and we actively used to encourage new people on because it just, there was new questions and there was new topics. And um, it was good when new members joined, but then I think Facebook came and it put a side yeah, group. Yeah, people drifting off and there was a few, a few fallouts on there, wasn't there, for various <laughs> different issues, shall we say? And uh, some people got banned, Neil, didn't they? <laughs> it was always the banana swinging around. <laughs> yeah. I, I was quite a bugger. I used to reinstate people after they got banned. <laughs> I'll let Neil back on for a minute. <laughs> it was you and Stuart, I think, weren't they, that, that got banned quite a couple of times or... I, I, I was always a model citizen on any forum that I went on to. <laughs> so, 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 that's how we know each other. Um, as we, we were just talking five minutes ago, and I said the reason why I wanted to have you on as guest one, num number one on, on the podcast, was you've done what a lot of people dream about doing. You were normal bloke, normal job, nine to five. I may be wrong in that, but that's, that was yeah, all my perception. And then a couple of years ago, I don't know how long it is now. You just yeah, went, two, and, two and a half years ago now, I think it was, yeah. You you announced that you were li leaving your job and joining the world of the tackle trade. And how, how was it? Um, It was something that I... I made the decision that I wanted to work in the tackle trade a long time ago. 
a long time. It's something that I, I wanted to be able to do a job with something as much as I love building. Like I was in the building industry before I started off on the tools as a site laborer, got up to a site agent and then went into the commercial side of things, doing the buy-in for Barrett Home, you know, major house builders and large contractors. And it was when I went into that commercial side of things, sitting in the office, I was like, I, I got quite, um, I don't know, quite apt for working with numbers and charts and figures and stuff like that. And I just developed that side of my, my career, uh, planning, organising. It's totally different to being on site, being told, right, go and build that, read a set of plans. That's what you build. And there's no license for anything. And I really enjoyed that commercial side. And uh, yeah, it was about, I moved down to Somerset. Um, from, from Shropshire originally. I moved down to Somerset, uh, back in Shropshire now, but when I was down there, I sort of like made a decision that I want to work in fishing. And yeah. I didn't, didn't mind where it went, where it took me. It's just, it was a decision that I made that I said, I'm going I'm gonna to do it. And it was like a goal, if you like. And I looked at different things, ways you can, you can be an angler. Not very many are, but you could be an angler. I was never going to be that. I was never going to be Terry Hearn or anyone, you know, just a, an average angler. So that's wiped that one out. And then I could have been a photographer, videographer. I just looked into all different sort of like jobs that can be done in trade. And I didn't have the skill set for, for any of them really, other than being a buyer. And I sent a few emails out to different manufacturers asking if they had any buying roles going and no there wasn't and yeah you just got the blanket oh we'll keep your name on file and yeah we'll come back to you if we ever get anything and i was never expecting anything back and i seen one day that someone was looking for an agent for selling the tackle i didn't apply for it i thought well that's my route in because i'm a buyer i'm dealing with products i'm dealing with salesmen all the time with reps all the time so i thought if i that was my sort of in route then so again, made another conscious decision that like my goal is to get a job in the tackle industry in sales, whether that be a rep, a sales manager, sales office. Um, obviously where I lived, there wasn't any offices around. So that then pushed me back to being a rep, but had no experience of selling, had experience of buying and I had experience in the building industry. So I got a job in sales in the building industry. And then just oh, okay. developed my skill set from there to make sure that when I actually went for the job with a tackle manufacturer, I could say, I can sell, I can do this, I can do this, that. This is the skill sets I can bring to you. And yeah, that's what I tried to do. And yeah, yeah built, built my experiences up. Even though you're selling bricks and blocks and timber and different bits, it, it's that relationship building that sales forecasting reporting well you know yourself from the sales side it's yeah. you know there's a lot more into it than the gift of the gab if you like yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah i mean that that's that's a tiny part of it yeah i i'd not realized that you'd taken so much time and thought about what you needed and then took those yeah deviations in your own career to get yourself ready yeah that was that, that was always the end goal was wow. to work for a large tackle manufacturer it had to be the right one um and nash was 
I've still got a copy of an email that I sent into Nash about I think it was 2007 so 13 years ago when I when I first sort of like wanted to do it and yeah I think it was Tom Foreman actually that sent me a mail back um I've got it somewhere in my email chain I'm sure I could search it out but yeah, it's basically, yeah, we've got no jobs going at the moment, but we'll keep you on fire. And that's, that's when I sort of knew I had to give the company something that they, they wanted or required. Wow. Um, like I, say, I'm, I was never going to be a photographer, a videographer. I was never going to be good in front of camera or anything like that. What I could do was sell and work with numbers and that commercial side of things in, the, wow. in a commercial department. So, yeah, it was a, it was a conscious decision a long, long time ago. But it's taken a long, like I say, a long time to come to fruition. So it's about it's about ten years then from yeah, the yeah. Good. You thirteen years probably yeah, two thousand and seven was wow. when I first sent the very first email. Yeah. Yeah, and I had a a few email chains going back with different manufacturers as well, but uh yeah, nothing ever come of it. And that's that's when I sort of realised I've got to really up my game here and make them want me, not me want them. Yeah. Wow. So, but then I got stuck in the building area. Then I met my now wife, moved back to Shropshire, got a new job in sales in Shropshire, and then yeah, it all went from there. And it didn't take it; never took a back seat. It was always my end goal. But yeah, other things got married, had kids, blah blah. So I'd done all <laughs> that, and then I think it was well, it was two and a half years ago. So Henry was he's turning five in December, so he would have been two when I first had my first interview with Nash in the December, yeah, so it was like, like he sort of like settled there. We're very lucky that Joe's parents live next door to us. Right. So we've got good childcare, very, very appreciative that I've got them or we've got them to call back on because Joe's works in a large secondary school, so she's got a very busy job. She's an assistant head teacher in that. So yeah, she's got a stressful, busy long hours so yeah we're very very lucky to have joe's parents next door who help us along the way so yeah the time was right then and uh, sort of like uh, my boss now james massey he was on a guest session on my lake right uh, that, that i bailiff with one of my now customers who's who's also a member on the lake there and uh yeah i got talking to him uh Friend, then friends on Facebook and then I was like oh if anything ever comes up let me know and apply and yeah I got the heads up that there was a job coming up and applied for it went for an interview and yeah it took I was unsuccessful first time at the interview I didn't get the job straight away wow it took, it took two months from my interview to to be offered the job yeah so so no pressure in that interview then you just spent 13 years building <laughs> your career yeah. to one interview Honestly, Neil, I went in, I, I don't think James had mind or, or Kevin had mind, but I went into that interview and I had a file like this of some of my old reports, how I've grown an area, how I've worked, like looking after merchants, which in effect would have been the tackle shops, yeah. all the strategies, everything like that. And I, I laid them all out on the desk. I was like, this is how I do this. This is how I can do this. And from, probably, they probably looked at me and thought, this. <laughs> <laughs> he's come for a fishing interview and he's going all this like commercial sort of corporate bollocks and uh, yeah, it, it, it worked in the end yeah eventually got the job and 
yeah, it's really good. And I've tried to bring that side into it as well. Try to use it to my advantage, all that experience that I have gained in in those ten years. I've tried to bring it and I think it I think it's working well. Yeah. Good. I'd like to think so. But yeah, very nervous walking into Kevin's office, sitting down, obviously being an angler all my life. I'm forty two now, fished since I was five years old. Obviously known about Kevin. Yeah. Walking in there, Kevin Nash walks in, you're like, oh, I never get nervous. I never get nervous in front of anybody, anything like that. And but it was like swallow. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it lasted about two minutes, and then yeah, the the flow. He's very easy to talk to, Kevin. Good. Yeah. Do you see much of him day to day? Uh, no, it's a it's quite a lonely job on the road, you know. Right. In terms of seeing colleagues. Um, Sorry, it's probably worth just calling out what you do now what what the what the job is and what you do so i'm a, an area sales manager so i cover all the northwest the nash so looking after all the tackle shops from shrewsbury up to scotland um well in fact now i've, I've just um I cover all wales now at the moment as well so yeah i've got quite a large area wales scotland and if you drew a line up the Pennines up the middle of the country and you've got, say, Shrewsbury there, and then straight up I cover the west of that side. Yeah, so the, the northwest is my area. So what's a typical day look like for you? Get up, um, sort everything out at the home with the kids and everything like that. I leave the house. I'm, I generally leave about seven o'clock in the morning. I leave my house. You can't really get into the shops till nine o'clock. And two hours travelling is probably an average to, uh, it's probably between an hour and two hours to get to most of my tackle shops are quite central to where I live into, into them. So it's generally about seven o'clock, I'll leave the house. And then I always like try and make one appointment a day that I need to be at at a certain time. And then I fill in the rest of my day around that one appointment, making a couple of calls when I'm on the road. Um, yeah, just dropping into shops. We do a lot of the merchandising, um, making sure all the displays are up, obviously promoting the new products, uh, explaining them to the shop staff of all the selling points of them and how to sell them to people, what the unique properties are of the products that we do when, when we have a new launch, for instance. Uh, like we've just had a new launch a couple of, a couple of weeks ago now. So we brought the new zig screws out and the shrinker tool. So there's a couple of little bits with the shrinker tool that we have to, like you've got to wet the rig and you can't use monofilament. So we just explain that to all the shops and give show them the sample, show them how to use it. And then they've got then the tools to, to sell them. If their customers are coming in and asking them the questions, they should be able to answer them questions straight away. Okay. Just, yeah, helps that. So, and then we've got the, the other side of it. It's the... Public oh, shows as well. You just broke up a little bit there, Nige. I just, I just, so, I've just got you back. Yeah, so you've got all that side as well. So what, what does, um, well, what, what's the shows going to look like this year? Yeah, I think my, I think my connection's a bit unstable. I've, I've got you back, but you're frozen. Can you hear me? Hello. 
Are you aware? I've got you back. Bloody technology. Are you back? I've got you back. back. Yeah, I'll um, I'll edit that somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, you're just saying you're just sort of saying that um, you've got all the shows and that kind of stuff. Um, with COVID, how's uh, how are the shows going to run this year? I suppose it's a little while till they start to kick off because usually they're a bit windy, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, so it's, they generally start January time, right? Especially the ones in this country. There used to be the Sandown show uh, that the Carp Society hold. Yeah. That was always November, um, but I don't think they're having one this year. I think they're having one at the Malvern Showground now. They've changed their show round a bit. Right. Uh, I think they're they're going to release some details of that pretty soon. I think. Um, so it's yeah, it's generally January time that that we start on them. Um, so this year we got the Brentwood show done and we got the Northern Anglin show in this country and that was like Northern was the end of February and yeah. we were due to go to the big one and I think the big one was due the end of March so it was right on lockdown they cancelled it quite late unfortunately but we were actually in France um, when it all started kicking off doing a show in France right big public show over there and yeah it was, it was getting a bit dicey then we kept on hearing reports coming back from the uk of we're going to go in lockdown and everywhere's going to go it's like god we're going to get stuck in france and <laughs> haven't even got our rods with us <laughs> <laughs> how much tackle have we got between us yeah, yeah just make, yeah, <laughs> clear the show tackle <laughs> all the stock at the show was gone <laughs> brilliant yeah but so yeah it's been a strange year for the shows this year we got half of them done i suppose but for, who knows what's going to happen next year? So are you starting to are you starting to plan them, or is it just wait and see? Um, it's Tom Tom Foreman's like our show manager, so he he will be doing all that and looking after that. We as a sales team, we don't get involved until probably the week before the show, right? And just with the setup and everything like that, and you know, we're always helping out with the displays and any ideas that we get that how we can display product and everything, but. Yeah, Tom's got a really big job on his hands throughout the year. One, for instance, when the Northern Angling Show finishes, he'll start looking for next year bits of what we can do. Yeah, it's wow, it's a big full time job that he's got there. Yeah, so that's he does all he does. He just, he just literally does shows all year. He, he's yeah, his title is I think his title show show manager, something like that. Um, wow. But yeah, it's a it's a big undertaking. He he works really really hard, Tom. Well, as everyone does at Nash, it's it's like a common theme. Everyone puts the puts the graft in there, and well, uh, I, suppose I suppose when you got someone as like Alan Blair and Alan uh, uh, Kevin at the forefront of the company and the work ethic that they've got, it rubs off on you. Yeah, it, it's hard not to work hard if you know what I mean. It's harder not to work hard than it is to you can't. Yeah. You don't feel like trying to skive at any point. It's, well, I suppose if you're doing something that you genuinely enjoy, I mean, it's, it's taking you 10 years, 15 yeah. years to get to the job. And yeah. um, you're not likely to turn up and then go, oh, easy street now, I'm not going to put any hours in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that old adage, isn't it? If you enjoy what you do, you never do a day's work, but it's right. Like, yeah. I never used to believe that, you know? I used to think, nah, people say that and they're still going to go to work. It's still a job, but it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I, I don't think I've ever worked as hard or as many hours 
is what I do for Nash, but it doesn't feel like I'm doing it. Yeah. It does not feel like I'm doing it. Cool. Not that I don't want that to sound like I don't do <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Kevin, if you're listening, it's I do work hard, honestly. <laughs> Four hours a day every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's enjoyable work. Yeah. No, I get I, I look at the, the guides in Florida when I go out there and I I, I envy them because they're doing the job, you know, taking customers out every single day and fishing every day. I know it's hard work and I know that, you know, they're getting up early and finishing late and there's a lot of work that goes off that you don't see. But the same as you say, to some extent, they've got to feel like they're not working. They're just, they're going out fishing with different people every day. I, I totally lost you then, sorry, mate. I, all I got was the last sentence, going out fishing every day. I was thinking, what, when? <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> no, I was just saying the Florida guides, when, when you see them going yes. out every single day, they're long, hard days, but yeah. you're, you're fishing. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, any time you're doing that, it's, it's got to be a good day out. Um, better than looking at four walls every single day when lockdown anyway. Yeah, well, you were just saying before, and you've been sat in that office for how long now? In your home office? Four, four or five months. Yeah. The same day, day in and day out, walking upstairs, yeah. sitting down in my office and starting work, finish, dinner, uh -huh. rinse and repeat. And go and go and go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the benefits, like, the role that I do for Nash is I get to meet so many new people. I've made some really, really good friends over the last two and a half years as well, both colleagues and customers and and my customers customers as well it's yeah it's we've done some made some really really good mates out of it the fishing always does that there's just there's so many good people in fishing that yeah. when you, you when you meet a mate of a mate who's into fishing you know you're gonna get on yeah yeah it's oh. funny i was at um, a place called the crocky trail yesterday which is in chester right so it's like a an assault course for kids and sort right. of like slides it's, yeah it's a really really good place to go but one of the staff members was walking through and it you sort of like walk around the outside of a field and you've got all these obstacles when you're going round, and then there's a like a base area where football games cricket games it's very sporty and i'd seen this chap and he kept on like coming around he was smiling at me all the time as i was walking <laughs> around and i was like what What's he doing? Why is he looking at me like that? And I had an ash jumper on. Yeah. And he was like, at the end of the day, as we was going out, he made a point of coming over to me. He goes, "You're the first carp angler I've seen this year on this property." Oh my! He says, "I've seen you round. I've kept on trying to catch your attention to say hello." I, like, I bet you're oh, glad right, that man. that's what it was at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, I thought me luck was it. <laughs> it's like saying to the wife, "He's looking at me funny." <laughs> Or is it you he's looking at? <laughs> can't tell. Yeah, that'd be good if he didn't just come over and push you out of the way and sort Yeah, and start talking to the wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you do get to meet lots of people. And like I say, from like that group that we sort of got together on that forum that we talked about earlier, Yeah. there's people who I invited to my wedding off that forum. And if I had met them in any way other than fishing they probably wouldn't be mates yeah they're so different to what my group of mates are like yeah um 
you know, and not just not just one or two. Everyone, everyone's all really different. They're all from different parts of the country. They're all like, but we're all best mates. Yeah, you know? I like to remember. I think it was the winter social we had at Boston. Oh, the famous uh, chili, the frozen chili, Neil. <laughs> so you, you need to you need to explain the frozen chili now, don't you? Yeah, if, if you're <laughs> ever going to go and do a winter social and you take uh, frozen chili, don't keep it in a cool box to keep cold. There's no <laughs> need because on night two you've just got frozen blocks of chili and twenty anglers staring at you. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, that, I think it was the first night. We, we were all just <laughs> stood in the darkness going, this is just weird. Because if somebody had said uh, five years ago, you're going to be stood in the field with a bunch of blokes that you met off the internet who you never met before. Well, I mean, there's a few of us that sort of yeah. met before, but it was just some random blokes who got together in the middle of the winter in sludge, stood in darkness, <laughs> drinking together. It's yeah. like, it's weird. <laughs> But your car bangers, yeah. we, we all got on, and yeah, it's that it's that one common interest, isn't it, that that draws you all together and and knits you into a sort of unity. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. There's always something to talk about. Yeah, there is, there is, and actually, I'm conscious that I don't want to keep you from your family too long tonight. I have got some. Oh, they're, they're all in bed. It's fine. <laughs> It's the trouble, you know, planning these things, and obviously this is the very first one, you think, yeah. well, what's an appropriate amount of time? Because you think, you know, half an hour, three quarters of an hour. But mm -hmm. you're right, you know, because you're carp anglers, once you start talking, oh, it's, it's 12 o'clock at night, and yeah. <laughs> maybe we ought to wrap this up. <laughs> well, a few more uh, Hawaiian daiquiris. <laughs> you might be turning me off anyway. <laughs> I think the reason why Nigel's got that is we shared a peg on horseshoe one night and for some reason I was going through a cocktail stage and turned up with just, you were trying to be serious cut-up angler and it yeah. was like 11 o'clock at night and you were still spotting and still throwing sticking. I was just <laughs> sat on the floor with the cocktail in my hand and I think even at three o'clock in the morning you were up again and you were baiting and you were feeding. Again. And I just I looked out of the bivy, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you were force feeding me pina coladas at one point and uh, oh, that gosh. sort of like, that that stayed with me because that that was that must have been about coming on 10 years ago maybe that was is it really yeah it's got to be Jesus. got to be around that sort of time but now even i'll go fishing when i go with alan blair we we have strawberry daiquiris and mojitos <laughs> and, yeah all the shows that we go to it's yeah we just drink cocktails and just a great fan. I don't really drink much beer now. It's brilliant. A, I'm a cocktail drinker, but it's a very expensive night out. <laughs> so here's a question. Now you're rubbing shoulders with uh, you know some really good quality anglers. There's no two yeah. ways about it. Nash have got some brilliant anglers. They have, yeah. How's that affected your fishing? Have you do you do you pick up bits here and there? Because obviously you've been fishing as long as me, you've been fishing 30 years. Yeah. So, I've always thought you to be a good angler, but yeah, what's what's that been like? I don't think you can help but let anglers like like Alan, like Kevin, like a lot of them at work there, Ollie Davis, for instance. They cannot not rub off on you. Yeah. Um, I do, other than the socials that we go on that we arrange with Mick and everyone like that. Most of my fishing is overnighters, one a week. Yeah. One night a week. 
if I do anything more than God, 12 hours, 12 hours is a long session for me. I, I normally put the kids to bed at seven, half seven, never sleep, go down the lake, which luckily is only half a mile from the house. So I haven't got the traveling time, which is ideal at the minute. And then I'll be away from there eight or nine o'clock in the morning. So yeah, 12 hours is about a average weekly session for me. What I've learned from Alan, especially, and Ollie, is that short session angling. Right. And, and they are masters at it. Alan can just go drop on and catch for fun, if you like it. it, it they can just find fish and catch them. They know exactly what to do. And yeah, that's, that's really helped me in the fishing. Right. Because I've gone from pre-kids and pre-married. I was like, I was a session angler, um, like fishing horseshoe three nights a week, stuff like that. And, you know, I worked hard and I'd move on fish and, you know, I'd never not, I've never been someone just to sit in one swim and sit out and bore them out. I've always worked hard. But when you see the effort that them guys put in, it does rub off on you. Right. Like I'll go, I'll go down after work for half an hour and sometimes catch fish. Sometimes I won't cast out, but if I find them, I'm pretty confident that I can, I've got a chance anyway. Yeah. I've got at least a chance. And yeah, so over the last two and a half years working for Nash, they, they have rubbed off. I was, all, I was going that way anyway in my angling because of kids and a busy lifestyle at home. But yeah, some of the things I've picked up off them's unreal. Yeah. Yeah, turning up in the dark, for instance, and getting out on a boat and dropping rigs and find spotting fish. Alan, like, he fished my lake last summer. Yeah. And he wasn't going to fish. We had a few cocktails. He wasn't going to fish. He got to about 11, 12 o'clock. We were ready to bed. He goes, I'm just going to go out on the boat and just have a look. And he went out on the boat at midnight found some fish in a margin, come back, tied all his new rigs up, specific for that spot where we had seen them, gone back out on the boat, baited for them, come back, put his rods, and they were tight under a bush as well, put his rods out, and it was, it was probably about half two, three o'clock when he was finished. And then uh, I think it was just before first light, so it's summer, so it's probably about half four, five o'clock, and he had a mid-30 off there. And, it's just, and he wasn't going to fish. So he went from going to get a good night's sleep to not go into bed till half two three o'clock and then getting up again at half four five with a fish and then we went and done a show the next day that's yeah so that, that work ethic it does it does rub off on you in fishing and in and in your professional career as well yeah i i, I just I, I haven't got that level of commitment but I, I guess that's the thing about fishing it's a broad church and everyone's got to find their own path through it and it's, it's a lot of yeah. differences to a lot of different people but, it is but, the best thing about fishing is it doesn't matter what you do as long as you get your enjoyment out of it yes. what i do someone might not get the same enjoyment as what i get out of it and i don't really like as long as i like a good like three night session with the lads if you're having a bit of a social where it's a bit but even then at horseshoe you mentioned it before i've still got to fish i'm still up at three o'clock spotting i've still got to be even though it's a big social i still felt the need that actually i'm actually fishing i need to couldn't move swims or nothing, so I worked what I could to to get one out of there. And and, and to your credit, I we it was a social. We we were elected certain swims. We were probably the furthest away from any fish. They were all yes. in the other side. 
yeah. and occasionally we saw them sort of coming down the lake. They wouldn't they didn't get, quite get to us, did they? They didn't. didn't but you, you were still grafting. I, I swear there was a wall of boilies in there by the time we left. I made a big mountain in there. There's a feature that the next person went in and found this gravel bar, but it was, yeah, there's a all my boilies. <laughs> Good. So I'm going to ask you three questions now, Nigel. Okay, mate. So who would you, dead or alive, like to fish with? So three, three anglers that if you could choose to do a session with, you would choose to fish with. Can one of them be a non-angler? It can be, be Linda Lusard, you mean, if you want. All oh, right, okay then. Well, that's <laughs> well, you're definitely showing our age off now. Well, anybody that was listening a bit to this, Linda, who? And the first one, and it's I don't have regrets, really. I, I, I don't generally have regrets. I think. But I would love to take my dad. My dad died a few years ago from a heart attack, and so I was asking you how yours was before, um, just sudden out of the blue. And um, yeah, he always, he was, he was never an angler, but he always used to say, oh, I'll come fishing with you one day. I'll come one day with you. I'll come one day. He's like, yeah, 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 whenever we can go and never got around to doing it. And then now I can't. So yeah, that would be my, my one that I'd really, really like to do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to go back and actually do it there and then. Yeah. And that's that's probably one of the things that yeah, one of my biggest life lessons, just take the moment when you can and Yeah. You never do know, do you? It's <laughs> mate, you don't. As we talked about beforehand, I, you know, yeah. four or five months ago I was uh, clutching my chest and breathing very heavily. And yeah. uh, you you you've got to take your opportunities where you can. You have, yeah. You have. Um, yeah, so that my dad would be first and foremost. Okay. Um, who else would I like to fish with? Past or present? I don't know. I, as much as I like going on the socials with all you guys and, and everyone like that, I, I do like my own company as well when I'm right. actually fishing. I do like my own company. It's hard. I enjoy fishing with everyone and I'll fish with anyone trying to pinpoint someone who I want to go with. It's hard because I do, if I'm fishing, I do like to be on my own a lot of the time. That's, that's very common, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to go with you again, Neil, because I don't think we, the two times that we've been, we went to Cromwell, didn't we? And I think you couldn't make the, the full night, so. No, I, I think when we did Cromwell, I just came down for a bit of an overnighter. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd got work commitments. And didn't I you just... did chuck some rods out in the end, didn't you, I think? Didn't you drop down in one of them bottom swims sort of i just i think i spent the night going around everyone's pegs having a drink with everyone and then just falling asleep in the van <laughs> common yeah, theme here. Any, any of them lads that I, I enjoy fishing like with mick and phil and keith yourself you know all them lads i'd, I'd at the drop of the hat go fishing with them yeah, yeah. We, we probably ought to arrange something where we stand a chance of catching some fish and yeah not yeah. not in the middle of the winter or some of the ridiculous things we've done yeah i think the the main drawback of that one was there was an actual bar on the fishery which was open and warm <laughs> Did, wasn't there a about wedding, that the better a wedding on that we you guys tried i did i didn't go no I, I didn't go uh I, no. I for once i kept my rods out on that one <laughs> 
Um, so on to venues. Three favourite venues you've fished. Um, Horseshoe is definitely up there. It's one of my favourite lakes. Okay. I've got a lot of love for Horseshoe. I, there's something about it. Every time I go on there, I, I just feel right. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel it. Just yeah, I love it there. Um, How is it these days? I just I, I don't hear much about it. Oh, it's great. Right. It's great. Great on it. I went with Alfie from work uh, a couple of weeks back, and yeah, we had a couple of fish, and yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, okay. The people are lovely down there. All the bailiffs are really nice. Yeah, and uh, Miles, obviously, who runs it there, runs the carp site. Yeah, get on well. I've got lots and lots of well. Again, I was talking about before. I've met load of mates fishing horseshoe, who, who I'm still in contact with, even though I don't fish there very often. Now, I probably go once or twice a year. Right. Normally, work. Um, we when we do a show or something there. So yeah, horseshoes certainly in the top three. Um, the lake that I fish now, that are, that are bailiff now, as I fished that since I was a kid, on and off. Um, so that that's got a special place. And there's one up in Ellesmere, one of the one of the big meers in Ellesmere. Right. Um, which I sort of like call my retirement water. It, it's going to take some time to crack. Um, unfortunately, it's all non-publicity up there. But yeah, that's got, again, when I was a kid, I used to fish it as a kid. And yeah, it's probably where I got, it's probably what got, caught me, got me into carp fishing. I used to night fish for the bream and, and eels, funnily enough. Right. Yeah, and I'd sit, sit up all night, I say night fish, I'd sit up all night till about two or three o'clock in the morning and then go to sleep for an hour and then get back up again and get the quiver tip back out again or swing tip back out of the bream. And I actually got a runoff, something which I can only presume was a carp. And yeah, that, that sort of like got me interested in it. It's like, oh, what the hell is a snap? <laughs> <laughs> pull, pull, snap. And then, yeah, it's like, well, I need to, and it went from that to putting one rod out all night for carp, to then two rods, then throw, as I'm sure it does with everybody our sort of age. I'm sure that's how the majority of us progressed into it. Yeah. I, I used to do this when I when I first started going carping, I'd carp through the night, get up at dawn, and same as you say, get a swing tip out, put yeah. some ground bait out, and then swing tip through the day. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't even think you can buy swing tips anymore. I don't think you've been able to buy a swing tip for twenty <laughs> years. Uh, yeah, and you used to have to get in your way to put your target at the end of your quiver tip. Yeah. Targets used to have the, like the dartboards, uh, sitting there watching one of them all day. It's funny, I find stuff like that in the garage occasionally. Mm -hmm. And I'll go, well, I'll throw that away. And then I go, oh, but I might need it one day. It's like, yeah. <laughs> we're going to use that again. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, my fishing store is full of stuff like that. Yeah. I've, I've got my first rod that, that my dad bought me when we went on holiday to Devon. A little six-foot diver. And, uh, yeah, still got that which I'm going to give my kid at some point. But I was going to say, that's the kind of thing that you want to see your lad catch his yeah. fish on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's quite sentimental, that one. But there's loads of bits, like like you say, some of the old reels and little bits of tackle that I think I'm never, ever going to use, but I just don't want to throw them away. Yeah. Even the stuff that isn't sentimental in any sort of way, it's like, oh, just in case, I'll just keep that. It'd be nice to keep. and Yeah. Yeah, no, I've got I've got a reel. When I was clearing out the other week, I found my dad's old reel. So we used to fish Cromwell Weir on the Trent in the 80s. Okay. 
Yeah. And the, the, there was nowhere near as many barbers as what there is now. You maybe you catch one a season, but there used to be yeah. tons of bream. You, you could have 120, 130 pounds of bream between a couple of you in a, in a day yeah. session. And yeah. uh, I always, I had an, an old Mitchell 501, were they? And um, my dad had this damn reel. And at the time, it just looked like something out of the space age. And um, <laughs> I found it the other day when I was cleaning out and I looked yeah. at it. And Mandy was like, oh, you can throw that old thing away. And I was like, no. I, <laughs> she's heard more fishing stories from me than, you know, you can shake a stick at. I wasn't going to go into it, but I just looked at it. I was like, yeah, that's, that, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> no. So last yeah. question for you, mate. I think you might, you might have already answered a bit of this. Three bucket list venues where you haven't fished, but they're on your checklist. Where I haven't fished. Mm. I've never fished Redmire. Uh, I suppose that's a cliche one, though, isn't it? That everyone will say Redmire, but hey, it's got it's got something there. Um, I would like to have a go on one of the big French public waters. Right. Not, it doesn't matter which one. I just yeah. At one point, I want to go and just try that style of fishing. Something I've never done before. See a lot of the lads at work that go and go and do that and then all the french consultants that fish it and you watch their videos that they put out on youtube and it's like this big adventure boat fishing and yeah that's something that whether i'd like it or not i don't know but yeah I'd, something that i'd like to do at some point and again maybe one of the rivers and do a bit more on one of the bigger rivers over there um yeah other than that it's I just want to keep fishing. This, this country is where it interests me. Yeah. Like I very rarely go to France fishing on like fishing holidays, if you like, or commercial pay lakes or whatever. Um, yeah. So if I did go over there, one of them big waters, maybe Red Mire, but it is, it is a bit cliche. Um, I probably would have said somewhere like Raysbury before, back as it was. Yes. Again, but it's, it was never ever going to be feasible to fish that sort of venue yeah. um, with the traveling effort. I've got one like that at home, like I say, that will do do me for when I retire. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know, I'm just happy just fishing wherever. Yeah, I, just like, I just like fishing. I go wherever, <laughs> it, wherever it takes me, I'll go. I'll fish anywhere. I just like fishing. Yeah, it's I do. Funny. It's funny though that you mentioned the um, French waters. Um, I think we've all been through that stage where we've gone out and we've done the pay lakes and took the families away, and it's it's a nice. But when you first go, it's fantastic, especially coming from the north, because you know I didn't see a forty-pound carp until I went to France, uh -huh. and it kind of distorts your mind, and suddenly you want to go over there. And then I think over time, well, certainly for me, you you see them as french fish and that's not to say that there's anything wrong yeah, with them, yeah but definitely. It's, it's kind of like holiday fishing and I, yeah i don't want to come across as poncy but it's not my proper home fishing yeah no i i certainly th this country is where i see myself doing all the majority of my angling yeah but yeah just when you're saying somewhere where you know a bucket list one is a one-off almost isn't it but but you never know, I might go over there, fish one of them lakes and want to do nothing else but go back and fish there and that style of angling could take over my, 
my life. Me, I, I know some people who've gone over, tried it once or twice, and before you know it, it's all they talk about, it's all they want to do. I've got yeah. one mate who just, he lived and breathed Cassian for 10 years. It just got right, him okay. in. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably the one, isn't it, there? Cassian's probably the, when you're talking about their sort of lakes. Yeah. History and, yeah. But it's, yeah, I think he's got he's got his own unique challenges as well. Until mm -hmm. the, the the technical skill that you need is specific to Cassian and its topography, you 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 could you could go and get lucky and catch a fish. Yeah. But from the reports that I've seen, it is so technical. And if you're you could spend three or four weeks as a very very talented English carp angler and not even see a fish. Um, I, I would be, I've no doubt, I'd be well out of my depth over there if I ever went. Yeah, I'd be well out of my depth. I'd have to go with someone who's done that style of angling before, whether it be yeah. someone from work or one of my other mates who have been to that sort of place. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to try and tackle it. I'd give it a go on my own, but yeah, I would be out of my depth on somewhere like that, I think. Yeah. Uh, not, yeah. Not, you know, I'm very confident I can catch a fish wherever, but... No, it's not that I'm not confident in my own ability, but there, yeah, it's it's different, isn't it? It's a different way of thinking and angling altogether, I think. It's... Yeah, I mean, having heard the reports from people I know who can fish it, I, I'd i just be pissing in the wind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Without the in-depth knowledge of the lake and the right swims and the weather conditions of where they're going mm -hmm. to be, it's so big. And you're talking, you know, stupid depths of water and... If you put a rig there, you're not going to catch a fish. But if you put it there, you will catch a fish. You, they can be super picky about where they're picking a rig up from, even in that acreage. Yeah, yeah. I know, um, like there's people like Grigsy, who have fished it all their life, basically, haven't they? And yeah, I'd happily go on a holiday with Grigsy over there and <laughs> just live off his experience. Yeah. But I suppose if you if you went on there enough times. You'd crack it eventually, wouldn't you? Or, or at least come somewhere near, you know, at least have an acceptable go at it. Yeah. Well, I, I saw the transition in my mate, who's he's a very decent angler. He's been fishing as long as we have in the UK, and he's got some big fish to his name. But seeing him go for the first couple of years and come back despondent because he'd heard about it, wanted, and he kept going, he kept going, he kept going, met some Dutch lads who gave him <laughs> some clues and some tips came away, thought about it, applied it, then caught a fish, and then went, oh, okay. Then went back again and caught a few fish. And it got to the stage over 10 years where it could go and catch fish, not at will, but on a very, yeah. very regular basis. But yeah. it, it took him a very, very long time. And he's a good angler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think they've got their own special challenges, haven't they? Yeah. And someone once told me that there was some really big bats over there as well. So that, that puts me off a little bit. I don't think I could deal with super bats. Yeah, apparently they're massive over there. But mate, how how have you managed to fish all of this time with with being scared of birds? I don't know. I, anything with wings, bats, ducks, swans, geese, and I, I don't like slugs either. I'm not very fond of slugs. So it's like everything that fishing is. <laughs> I get anything by the lake. Yeah, yeah. I'm I literally shit myself every time I go to fish it. <laughs> yeah. As soon as it comes dusk, that's it. I'm under the brolly and, yeah. and even then I'm worried that they're going to get under the brolly and attack me. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Mate, I've kept you talking for an hour. 
genuinely i appreciate your time we we don't get we don't get enough time to do this we we don't catch up enough so this has been no, brilliant. No. yeah no it's been great yeah. and uh, thank you very very much for your time guest one podcast one done yeah who would have thought no who would have thunk it yeah all right mate I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, me and Nigel had a really good time recording it. And actually, we just carried on chatting after the camera had finished. Uh, I think as with all friendships, you never get enough chance to catch up with your friends. And um, yeah, we wish that we'd left the camera running because we, we spoke for about another hour afterwards. So Nigel's kindly agreed to come back on at a future date. We're probably gonna go down to his syndicate and record one from the bank. Um, if you've enjoyed it, please do consider liking the video, sharing it, subscribing it. We are relatively small at the moment uh, we've got big plans so please do give us your support so we can move the channel on uh, we've got some big guests coming over the next couple of weeks we've got the Dean Machine Dean Macy he's going to be joining us in a couple of weeks uh, we've got Mike Spug Redfern if you've read any of his books or if you know Mike he's one of the funniest guys in fishing and no pressure for me um, we've got Keith Arthur coming on in a few weeks time as most of you know Keith has been presenting fishing on uh, Sky, Terrestrial TV, Radio for the last 30 years. So uh, a month into this role and I'm going to have to interview one of the biggest names in fishing journalism. So yeah, no pressure at all. Plans for the future. We're going to continue to obviously have great guests along the way. We're going to have tackle roundups from tackle manufacturers and we're also going to have venue reports. So please do come along for the ride. It's going to be interesting. Thanks for watching. See you soon.